Uh, good morning and welcome to Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen Feith, lead pastor here at Madison Church. I'm glad you're joining us. And if you're online, we hope that you'll join us in person soon. Uh, many of you know, uh, if you were here last week, I flew to Florida last week for a church conference, a church leadership conference that I attend every year. I, this year, I got to go with my friend Jake, which was cool. We went a long time ago, but it's been quite a few years since we've seen each other, given the pandemic and all of that stuff. But we got to go together this year, and it was really, really good. I enjoy it. enjoyed it this year. The main session speakers uh, were just awesome. I sent the videos to some of you. If I, had a, if, I, if I knew there was a speaker talking about something that I thought you would like, I was sharing with you that live stream code that they specifically told us, you know, don't share. We want to charge for this after the conference. But, you know, I was like, I'm going to help my Madison Church people out. And so we had Pete Gregg uh, was one of the speakers. That's who this series, uh, Pray Like This, is based on. Uh, John Mark Comer was there. We did a series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry that was based on his book. John Mark was there. Uh, and Christine Kane was there, if you know her. So we had, there was a lot of really good speakers. It was a really good time. Um, but it wasn't just sitting there and hearing from good speakers and teachers in person. There were also workshops, and these workshops are led by um, organizations like Barna and Lifeway and Wheaton College, and they're bringing forth different um, studies and research. And they say, hey, this is the, look what's happening with Gen Z when we ask them these questions compared to when we ask boomers the same questions. And, and based on this, if we are going to reach young people, what, do, what kind of shifts do we need to make in the church? And so it was really good workshops. And then it wasn't just that. Probably most important, my favorite part of this annual conference in March is that it's in Florida and it was 80 and sunny all week. So that was my, you know, I, I, it was good. I did have to fly home early on Thursday because Southwest was a little concerned about that snow we were getting on Thursday night. And so I, I ended my conference a little bit early, but uh, I bet I beat the snow. Um, also, this week, I got to eat at one of my favorite TV personalities restaurants. I got to eat at Gordon Ramsay Fish and chips. It was the best meal I ate all week. It was only $16 too. So I know I say Gordon Ramsay and you guys are thinking I, I spent some major dough. I did not. It was only $16. Uh, this is unlike Ramsay's other restaurants, which could run you several hundreds of dollars, um, only several hundreds of dollars. I was actually looking it up and Googling in case you were curious. I was like, what is Gordon Ramsay's most expensive dishes? And usually it, it seems around Christmas he has a $500, $550 dish. But otherwise, it's, it's only a couple hundred dollars to eat his food. But for me, it was $16, and I got some very fancy um, Long John Silvers, if you guys are familiar with the chain. So we all have our favorite restaurants. And I'm wondering if you've ever walked up to a restaurant and you check the menu posted outside. It's on the door. It's on the window. And you realize quickly that the restaurant was not for you. Not because you didn't like the food they were offering, but because it was out of your price range. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, okay. Um, I have learned personally that if the restaurant puts the menu in the window, it just as a general rule, I can't afford it. So I just keep walking when I see it. It's like, it's like a do not enter sign, practically. It's a polite do not enter, but it's a, it's a do not enter sign nonetheless. 
Um, it's too bad. I, we're talking about all this food. It's too bad we don't have lunch today afterwards, but we do have donuts. I've been telling um, about half of you as you walk in, these are apology donuts for the time change. We had nothing to do with that, but we're still sorry, nonetheless, that there's a time change this morning. Um, I am going somewhere with all of this. I, what is he talking about? Today, we're studying the line within the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, give us today the food we need. This is what has been more commonly prayed, give us this day our daily bread. And I'm guessing that for most of us, this line in the prayer just doesn't hold a whole lot of meaning. Your cupboards are full at home. You have cereal. We have donuts here. So give us this daily bread. It just seems like the most insignificant part of the prayer. As a matter of fact, I know that some of you don't eat bread. So you're like, why would I, why would I pray for bread? I don't even... I don't even eat bread, right? We'd be probably more inclined, I was thinking about this, we'd be more inclined to pray this if it was, God, give us this day our ration of eggs at 2019 prices, right? We'd, yeah, okay, that's a prayer I can get behind. But we are today in week three of a study called Pray Like This based on a book, How to Pray by Pete Gregg. And we're learning about how Jesus responded to his disciples when they came to him with a simple request, which was, Lord, teach us how to pray. The disciples saw something that was very different about the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus prayed. It was so different. Jesus didn't just memorize words, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders of that time, they would have had old prayers memorized. They would have had new prayers memorized. They would go to the temple and they would pray these prayers. If it was this Sunday or this Saturday of the year, we're going to do this one. And if it's this one, we're going to do that one. Not all terribly different than somehow church, than how some churches do it today, right? So they would have these prayers memorized, and the disciples look around, and they say, well, I see they got the prayers memorized, and they're saying these things, but I don't know. I don't feel like there's anything there. But when we watch Jesus pray, and they're not memorized, it's like he's just talking with God, and we've seen Jesus do some crazy things. So I want to learn the way that he prays. And as Jake pointed out last week, this was common for a rabbi to teach them how to pray, their followers, how to pray their way. So if you were going to one Pharisee, Pharisee A, you Pharisee A, teach me how to pray, they would have their way to pray. Pharisee B, teach us how to pray, they would have their way. So when they come and they're asking Jesus, how do we pray? It's a common question that followers of a rabbi would have asked. Most things in life have to be learned and prayer is no different. We can't poke fun at the disciples for not knowing how to pray. I think for a lot of us, the reason we don't pray more is because we just don't know where to start. We don't know how to pray. We've only been given, uh, I used the analogy in week one, we've only been given one tool to pray when really prayer is more like a tool box. And perhaps what we need to do is open up the toolbox and look at the different tools. And, and so far we've learned about the different tools like adoration, worship, when we come together on Sunday morning, what if I don't want to ask on my behalf? What if I don't want to pray for someone else? What if I just want to adore God? I just want to worship God, give God glory. We say, okay, that's a tool. That's good. The Bible speaks specifically to adoration. And then last week, Jake talked about intercession. And intercession is praying on behalf of someone else. And you're like, oh, I was doing that. I didn't even know I was doing intercession exactly. That's what we're talking about prayer. You might know more than you realize you did. And so, as you walk into different situations, when a friend asks you to pray, you're like, okay, this is intercession. What has God said about intercession through other people in the biblical text? And today, we're going to talk about petition, which is probably the what you most closely associate with prayer. When you hear prayer, you think petition. 
Uh, but before we dive into that, let's read the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is in Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13. And just as a disclaimer, you do not have to read it with me. I don't, you know, I don't know what Jake's problem was last week. So, um, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And what we've been presenting throughout this entire series is that each line of the prayer, we believe that Jesus intended this to be a way to learn how to pray. It's not simply something we memorize and something we recite, but really it's a launching pad into something better and deeper, which isn't to say anything bad if you have this prayer memorized and you recite it. Keep doing that. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying pray less throughout this series, right? Pray more. But my point is, is that Jesus wanted us to do more than just memorize it and just to pray it. He was using this as a teaching. When the disciples say, teach us how to pray, he doesn't say, oh, just pray this and this is the only prayer you're ever going to need. He says, use this as a launching pad. And so we've been talking about the different types of prayer. And today we're talking about give us today the food we need, Matthew 6, 11. This is a very tangible prayer. Give us the day, give us today the bread we need to eat. It's tangible because we're going to be hungry today. As a matter of fact, you're going to be hungry multiple times today. You're going to have multiple meals today. So when Jesus is saying, you know, give us this day the, the bread we need, he's saying pray for the tangible, the immediate, the needs that you have, even the most seemingly insignificant. And as I mentioned, when we think of prayer, we tend to think of petition. It's Petition is simply asking God to meet our needs, and sometimes our wants, or maybe more times our wants and sometimes our needs. Unlike intercession, which is praying for God's kingdom to be realized here on earth in the lives of other people in situation, situations, petition is about bringing our own needs and wants to the Father. It's about me, and that's okay. Jesus instructs us to pray like that. Yes, adore God, worship God. Yes, pray on behalf of other people. But then Jesus turns and he says, but pray for yourself too. Prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest and most obvious, prayer is about asking God for help. And what we're talking about today is a tool that most of us have already been equipped with and we're already familiar with, but I don't think we take the prayer far enough. I know you know how to pray on your behalf to God, but I don't think we take it far enough. Because I think that we tend to think, I'm not going to bother God with the headache that I have. Why would I do that when I can take Tylenol? Why would I pray? When, when there are people going through really tough and rough situations, there are real problems in the world all around me, why would I pray about these things that seem really insignificant? Why would I pray about these small things when I'm pretty sure God has big things. I don't want to bother him. It seems silly or selfish to pray for things like a good night's rest or about that fight you had with a friend last week or praying for the energy to finish a project at work when other people are battling something as serious as potentially life-threatening illnesses, isn't it? And yet Jesus tells us after we intercede, on behalf of other people. Jesus tells us, pray for something as simple as the food we need. He teaches his followers and us 
that reliance on God is not just for the big problems. He doesn't say, now when you pray to God, think about the biggest, most challenging, the hardest aspect of your life and bring that to God. Jesus says, think about something that's quite common, like getting hungry and needing food to eat. Something that you're able to go to the grocery store and buy, or you know, 2,000 years ago, you go to the market or you grow it yourself. Think about something like that and bring that before God. Well, why is it important? I mean, maybe that's what you're asking. That's what I'm asking. Why would it be important that I do that? Well, asking nurtures relationships. When we come to God and we petition, when we pray on behalf of ourselves, we're nurturing a relationship with God. For example, when you were a kid, even if you don't have kids in the room, but when you were a kid and you really wanted something, who did you ask? If you had a mom and dad in the home or you had two parents, was there one like you were more likely to ask than the other one? In my house, my children will ask their mom. If they don't want to finish dinner, they're going to talk to the one who's willing to negotiate. I, on the other hand, do not negotiate with terrorists. Right? So, okay, so as a kid, you remember who you would ask for. For a lot of us, it was our parents. But if you were the really smart kid, you bypassed the parents and you just went right to the grandparents. Right? You just skip mom and dad, go right to grandma and grandpa. They're not going to tell me no. And mom and dad can't even do anything about it. So, um, you know, they can try. But the, the question then is, is, what, what I'm saying, asking nurtures relationships and what we ask for as adults now, because we're not kids, but what we ask for as adults now depends on who we're asking. So we think we're only going to ask big things to God because we are only going to ask our doctor about the weird rash that itches. We're not going to ask our banker that, right? You're not going to go in for a loan and say, and by the way, while you're working on that, could you take a look at what is this? Look, no, okay, so who we ask the question to depends who we're asking. And what we ask God reveals what kind of relationship we have with God. What do you ask God for? I mean, just think about that and evaluate the past seven days, since Friday, this morning. What did you ask God for? And if we were going to now assess it and say, what does this speak about your relationship with God? What kind of relationship do you have with God? Because remember, at the beginning of this study, at the beginning of the prayer, Jesus says he is our parent. Do we talk to God like he's a parent? Or do we talk to God like he's our last resort? Jesus uses this language of parenting, of the familiar language. He in, in Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus makes the connection right away that when you're asking God for something, it's like a child coming to their parent. And you don't need to be scared about it because even you guys who are messed up, that's what he says, even you guys who are messed up, screwed up, selfish, even you guys know how to give your kids good gifts. So how much more is your, your perfect parent, your heavenly father, God, when you come to him and ask him, how much more likely is he to help you, to listen to you, to give you good gifts. And so when we come to God and we ask him for daily bread, we're taking a step toward a more authentic and real and deeper relationship with a God who is interested in every aspect of your life, not just 
the big parts. But a second reason that asking for daily bread is, is important is because it acknowledges dependence on God. I mentioned that what we ask for reveals the kind of relationship that we have. And every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have a dependent, a dependent relationship on God. We depend on God. And maybe you disagree with that, and I would understand why. Having dependency on others is really, really hard. Depending on others is really, really hard, even if we have a good relationship with them. It could be your mom and dad, but you know, at some point you grow up and you leave, right? You don't want to depend on them forever. It's hard to put ourselves in a vulnerable position because this vulnerable position of depending on others, it oftentimes makes us feel guilty or ashamed because we've been taught that if we have to depend on others, that we have done something wrong. Well, if I depend on you, I must have made a mistake somewhere along the way because I should be completely autonomous. That's what we think. It's not right. We are dependent on God and we are dependent on other people. And actually, when we think that we aren't, it's because of our affluence. Our affluence often keeps us from recognizing our dependence. And what I mean, I mean our money, our jobs, our cars, our houses, you know, social media, cell phones. We can cut people off. We can include people. We can call the credit card company up when we need money. All of these things make us think, gives us the illusion of independence, but we are dependent on one another, and that's not a bad thing, just like we are dependent on God. And I want to ask the question now, talking about daily bread, are we dependent on God only when all other options fail? When you think of dependence on God, is it like, I'll pray for help with my finances after my credit cards are maxed out, and the bank has turned me down, and my parents said they couldn't help me anymore? Oh, and then I'll pray to God. Or was God the, the first thing? Do I recognize my dependence immediately and just pray to God right off the bat? Do we pray to God when the medication doesn't help, when the treatment plan fails, and the health continues to de deteriorate? Well, the doctors can't help me anymore, I guess. I'll go to God and pray for this. When your marriage is finally just so damaged that only an act of God can repair it, is that what we do? God, you're the last option. I only depend on you when I need really big things. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Daily bread. Give us today the food we need. We begin with prayer. We start with prayer as a parent. We say, recognizing right off the bat, we are dependent on you. I don't have to feel guilty about that. I don't have to feel ashamed about that. I can come to you as a child comes to a parent. And as we look around in our lives and we think about the good food that we're eating, whether it's fish and chips in Orlando or something better that's homemade, whatever it might be, every provision, every good and perfect gift that we have comes from God. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Praying, give us today the food we need is both a way to ask God to provide the essentials for life and a way for us to express dependence on God. God, I need food to eat. God, I need running water. I need water to drink. And God, I know that I can get these things, but God, I'm also dependent on you. And we recognize that even when you go to the grocery store and you buy the food, and even though you have running water, we're told in James that every good thing comes from God. So yeah, you can, while you're writing the check to pay the water bill, say, thank you, God. I have running water. 
Now we're getting to this point though, where, you know, we're going to come and okay, we're going to pray and we're going to ask on my behalf. And I'm guessing, has anyone, you've prayed before? Raise your hand if you haven't prayed before. Okay, you can all look around the room. Nobody's, everybody's prayed. To be person, to be a person is to have prayed before. Even people who don't believe in God admit that they pray. Even people who don't even believe, they're like, well, we'll throw something out there and we'll conjure up images of these things and or whatever. Everybody prays. And what that means is that every single person, I know this to be true, every single person has had an unanswered prayer. Every single person in the world, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, has had an unanswered prayer. So what do we do with that? Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. Jesus says, pray for the food that you need. And we do, and then, but, and we're told that he's like a good parent, and a good parent would give their kids good things, and every good and perfect gift comes from God. So then what happens when I pray for something, and it doesn't happen? It's painful. It's confusing. I've prayed for my own personal relationships with people to get better, and then they didn't. I've prayed for people to be healed, only to see them continue to suffer. And I'm sure you have too. And I just want to point out that so did everybody who lived in the times of Jesus and before Jesus. And some of them took to the big book to air out their complaints. David, for example, a man who is after God's own heart. That's what God says. God says, David, you're a man after my own heart. Of all the compliments to get, wouldn't we want to be a person after God's own heart? Here's what David writes in Psalm 22. God, God. My God, why did you dump me miles from nowhere, doubled up with pain? I call God all day long. No answer, nothing. I keep it all at night, tossing and turning. You ever felt like that before? So did David. And he wrote about it. And it's in the Bible. He's not the only one. Job, in his ministry, declare misery, declares, I shout for help, God, and get nothing. No answer. I stand to face you and protest, and you give me a blank stare. You've turned into my tormentor. You slapped me around, knocked me about. You raised me up so I was riding high and then dropped me, and I crashed. I know you're determined to kill me, to put me six feet under. Have you ever felt like that? It's not just, God, where are you? But it's, God, you're the bad guy in this situation. You're the tormentor. That's Job's language. Job has hit such a rock-bottom place where he's coming to God and he says, you're the bad guy and you're supposed to be the good guy. It's biblical. It's biblical to be honest about your struggles with unanswered prayer. It's not wrong. You can be pissed off about those things. It's a part of life. And as I say often with a lot of other subjects, but especially with this one, when it comes to unanswered prayer, these things can draw us closer to God or push us further from him. And the choice is yours because you're going to have unanswered prayers, regardless of what you choose. You're going to have unanswered prayers if you're like, well, I'm going to keep drawing closer to God anyway. Okay, well, prayers are going to continue to go unanswered at times. And, or you can walk away from God and, and you know, you're just going to have a lot less prayers answered that way. Based on what Job and David did, they didn't let the unanswered prayers push them away from God. They didn't talk about God. I mean, they talked to 
about God to their friends, but they also went to God. And I think that that's the difference between us. Because when you and I have an unanswered prayer, we get together with another friend for coffee, for drinks, and we just air out our complaints and our theology. And we bring it, why didn't God answer my prayer? And, and we want to unpack that. And did I do something wrong? Or, you know, what, what was this? Why isn't God good? I, th- I thought God was good. We say these things. But what we see with David and Job is they confront God. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you when it comes to unanswered prayers. I don't, I'm not trying to give you a simple answer to one of life's hardest questions. But when you have an unanswered prayer, don't just talk about it with your spouse, with your kids, with a friend, a buddy, a pastor. Don't just do that. Go to God. Go to the big guy himself. Let him know, hey, I've got an issue with this. What's going on, God? Because, again, it's biblical to be upset about unanswered prayer. And it's okay to go to God. It's okay to be a man after God's own heart and to say, where are you? When I'm up all night with my anxiety, worrying about my finances, my health, my kids, my whatever, my career, it's okay to say, God, where are you when I'm rolling around in bed? And again, I don't want to give you a simple answer to to this hard question. I just want to say, though, that God's silence, when God doesn't answer our prayers, God's silence is not the same as his absence. Just because God doesn't answer prayer doesn't mean he's not there. Okay? Oftentimes, I think a lot of us who were ever in a relationship when we were in junior high would say, thank you, God, for not answering the prayer that we would get married and have 100 kids. Right? I mean, for some, there might be one of you in the room who's like, no, I was really glad God God answered that prayer. Great. Good for you. But for most of us, we're like, we dodged a bullet. We dodged, we follow him on Facebook, right? We creep. I'm like, man, dodged a bullet. Thank you, God, for not answering that. Well, sometimes in life, that's what other unanswered prayers are like. Now, of course, we're not in junior high. And of course, it's not a relationship that lasted three weeks. There are bigger things and life gets more serious. And so those unanswered prayers get heavier and they get harder to understand why God did it. But we trust God and his silence is not the same as his absence. And so then the question when it comes to unanswered prayer, it's okay to air out our frustrations, but I challenge you to say, where are you in this? God, where are you in this? Because when God's not answering the prayer, he's still there, which means if I don't see him, I'm not looking the right direction. God, where are you in this? And so this week, I want to challenge you to practice petition over some really lame and mundane things. Thank God for the Cheerios. Pray for the lunch. When you're in a hot shower, thank him for it. Pray for another hot shower tomorrow. Thank him for the paycheck, for the job you have, whether you like it or not. Find ways to express gratitude. But again, it's not just the big things. And when you find yourself anxious about something or depressed about something, maybe that's your body's emotional way of letting you know you should pray. The emotions, your your mental self is tapping your soul. Hey, would you would you pray about this? We're carrying this and and you know my department is is mental, emotional, and your department is going to God. So can you go to God for me? Let's do that this week. Pete Gregg says when you pray about the small things in life, you get to live with greater gratitude. If you only pray, if you only ever pray about big, ugly, gnarly problems that seem erroneous and serious enough to warrant divine intervention, you will only very occasionally experience miracles. But when you learn to pray about something trivial, you start to notice how many minor miracles are scattered around in the course of an average day. 
I know we can point to the unanswered prayers in our lives. And we say, look at that. That was huge. I really wanted God to show up and show off, and he didn't. But what Pete's saying here is when we begin to pray for our daily bread, we begin to see God more often every single day. We become more aware of the miracles every single day, the things that we don't think, the things that we think are too small for God to do. And as we begin to recognize those, we realize there's nothing too small for God to do. God, give us today the food we need. It's a prayer meant to draw us close to the heart of God. 